Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright and I'm grateful to be here once again as your host with Pastor Jim Minling. Pastor Jim, welcome back to the States. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be back. I had a good time in Greece, but it's it's uh, good to be back. Absolutely. And it's great to have you back. Uh, uh, preaching this past Sunday, uh, we've we've missed you. Uh, mm-hmm. I've missed you. And it's great to have you back well, in the office and all those sorts of things. Thank you. And because I've been to Greece on this Footsteps of Paul trip with you, yes, you have. I know a little bit behind the scenes, you know, what's <laughs> what's been going on in your life. And I wondered, was there a moment or did you want to share anything about that trip? Because I know it's always new and fresh and, and life-changing in, in some ways. So how, how what was going on in Greece? Um, well, many people were concerned about us because of the fires. Oh, really? Uh, there, there was, and we saw... T- Tons of fire damage right along the road. Wow. So it's, everything is burned out. Um, and then when we got back, everybody was saying, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, yeah. We, no, because of the floods. I'm like, what floods? And then I got home to uh, actually a chance to you know get online and saw some of the footage of just horrendous flooding there. Or I, well, there was a tour bus just like ours that had got washed away. Oh my. And in, in Greece? In Greece. And and then the next uh, piece of footage was a car getting washed off the street into the Aegean Sea. It's like, oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. So we, we missed the fires. We missed the flood. There's like a, oh man, that's, now I'm thinking There's about. a song there somewhere. Yeah, how firm a foundation again. <laughs> that is crazy. I didn't realize, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't meticulously watch the news, but I, I didn't realize that yeah, was the when case. When we were driving into Athens, that we saw hills, you know, mountainsides and hillsides on fire and the smoke in the sky. Wow. You know, blocking the sun. And, and um, we're like, what do we go? We're driving into like a war zone, you know, but uh, praise the Lord. None of the areas that we visited or were going to visit were affected by current fires. They mm. were all in the distance. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, back to your original question. It was a great time, you know, seeing the the exact places where a, a Bible story happened, you know, standing mm-hmm. right there, uh, being able to teach, toggling back between Acts and the epistles was just so fun um, to... You, as, you, as you do this, as you compare the book of Acts with the books, with the epistles that Paul wrote, you can get some insights into Paul, his personality, his struggles, his disappointments, his discouragements that don't come by just reading Acts or just reading the epistles, but by putting them together, kind of a, a blending. Like, for instance, I, I went to, to, we went to Corinth and I compared the Corinthian correspondence with Luke's record of Paul coming into the city of Corinth in Luke, what, 18, 17 or 18? Mm-hmm. And um, you, you kind of lay these together and, and you realize, oh my gosh, you know, Paul was really, really struggling and discouraged. And he says, you know, to the point of, of um, fearing for my own death, you know, uh, what, you know, feeling the sentence of death over me mm. was the phrase. Well, most people don't think of Paul like that. We think of victorious Paul. And then now that you realize that he came into Corinth like that, it gives a lot more 
meaning to the phrase, when I came to see you, brothers, I came with great fear and trembling. Yeah. That wasn't just pro- prose. It wasn't just poetic writing. He's re- talking about some some physical, relational uh, situations that he was facing that were tra- very traumatic. And so then when you look at what he said next, it's like, ah, oh, it just gives new color to it. So that kind of thing, being there, comparing the texts, um, uh, being on the Aegean Sea was amazing, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's what you shared about in in, in your sermon a little right. bit, yeah. and uh, and the discipleship. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> um, I almost didn't use that joke because I thought it was just too corny. <laughs> and in the first service, I was surprised by how many people laughed. So I thought, well, I'll try it again in the second. I mean, it is on a slide, so I mm-hmm. kind of have to use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I thought, you know, no, everyone's going to roll their eyes, and it's going to be a collective groan. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but instead there was, there was laughter. So. Yeah. And I know in, when you go to Israel on tour, uh, the Galilee is your favorite area it to is. go. Do it you, is. do you have a favorite standout oh, in Greece? I know, yeah. I know it's not, it's not fair. Did you go to uh, Ephesus again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I might say Ephesus, except that um, it's, it's my favorite to see archeologically. Mm-hmm. But how I just describe this quickly, um, Tur- Ephesus in Turkey, and that ar- archaeological site is run and I don't even maybe even owned by a conglomerate family that will not allow you into the site unless you um, kind of pass through their retail shops and selling rugs mm. and things like that. And so like you can't get in without doing that. And I, I don't like that part of the day and it cuts short some of the time I want to spend in Ephesus. And there's just a kind of hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Whereas the other sites, we have a lot more freedom to um, linger and to pray and to, and to, you know, do a teaching mm-hmm. that's not in a hurry. You know, I taught 22 times in eight days. <laughs> that's insane. You know, yeah. Um, but in Ephesus, I only taught once. Mm-hmm. Same way, same way with you when you were there. I only taught once, and that, if you remember, it was at the mouth of the Grand Theater yep. there, and it was a very rushed teaching because there was all kinds of people walking around us and through us and through our circle, and mm-hmm. it was just very, you know, just I don't know, disjointed kind mm-hmm. of a thing. So, in the other sites, because we have more time, we can kind of get away. Um, yeah. And so I, I love Philippi. That's, that's, um, that's a favorite site. Probably, um, Philippi and, and Corinth are my two favorite places in, in Greece. Yeah. Uh, um, however, um, I also love the island, the island of Patmos. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go there this, this time? We did. Nice. And, um, if you remember last time we went up to, you know, the Patmos is just a big bunch of rocks. Mm-hmm. And at the very top of the one mountain on the island is where this this uh, monastery is. And when you climb to the top and then climb and then go to the top of the monastery, there's this lookout. And the view is absolutely stunning because there's the sparkling Aegean Sea and all these islands. You can probably see 20, 30 islands from mm-hmm. that high viewpoint. And, it almost looks fake, like somebody has stuck a green screen here, and then you know it's just like this is stunning. Yeah, 
it's it's a it's a postcard every time you turn your head, mm-hmm. and uh, that's also a, a favorite place, but not because of anything biblical, but just because of the pure, sheer beauty mm-hmm. of the Greek islands and the GNC. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful area and country and um, region. So you know, there, there's there's that, and then there's the the just the thrill of opening the scriptures right where it happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know it, like I said, it's, it's such a wonderful, and there's still, uh, I was recently looking back at pictures from when I was in Greece in mm-hmm. 20, was it 2019 or was it? No, it was later than that. 2020. No, maybe it was 2019. I, think, I was thinking 2018. Could be. Well, whenever, whenever it was, it was uh, a year you interned with me. Yeah. That would have been. So right before, uh, before I was married, I think it was summer 2019. Okay. Um, cause I was married December, 2019. Okay. But so now everybody knows my anniversary. Month. But <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I just reminiscing on some of those memories. Um, we, we, we stopped at Sincrea to you know make vows and things like that. And mm-hmm. I remember some just moments I had with the Lord there and, and elsewhere throughout that trip. And, well, and, and also the the people that I was with, you mm-hmm. know, both with your trip and this trip, just, I mean, there, it was a great group of, of men and women and, uh, and, and also a teenage girl, oh. uh, a mom, a, a dad brought his teenage, his daughter and took her out of school to go nice. to Greece. Not bad, huh? <laughs> Not at all. But I mean, the questions that were asked, the interchanges, the challenges, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the, the attentiveness. Um, you know, the people on this trip were not there for a, a tour, a sightseeing. They were hungry men and women, disciples who were, and some of them had done all kinds of research and preparation for this. So they're, they're, mm. man, this one guy in particular, he was just so prepared and <laughs> he had great questions. And I'm like, oh, this kind of, I love these kind of people because mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to get as much out as they can out of it. And I'm one of these guys that loves questions, right? Mm-hmm. So now bring it on. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it, was, it was just, it was great to be with those kind of people. That's good. Yeah. That's good. And uh, yeah, I, um, I remember all, all that sort of stuff and getting to ask questions right. of our, you and our, the other folks yeah. who were there touring us around. I thought of you often when we had a good time that year. And it was awesome. <laughs> but, and, and now uh, in, in some ways, this podcast is like a carrying on of some of those, the, the spirit of some of those conversations of mm. reading the text, having conversations well, about the text and asking questions. Well, I got to tell you, one of the, one of these guys I was talking about, mm-hmm. he actually, he listens. Hey Dave, <laughs> he listens to this, the recordings. He likes, he told me he likes the cutting room floor better than the sermons. <laughs> So I'm like, that's awesome. That's so funny. <laughs> and yet, you know, you spend, at least for me, like I, we spend all this time laboring over the sermon and the cutting room floor feels, at least to me, it feels like so much easier. So It's so chill. It's just a conversation. It's much more conversational. Yeah, we can yeah. go, we can, we can end up going all kinds of places, but he liked it because he likes it because we go more in depth. Oh yeah. And he, he feels like on Sundays. You know, we're just not getting to some of the depth that mm-hmm. he really likes to get into. And, right. And again, you know, Sunday mornings is a monologue. It's not a dialogue. And some of the depth we end up getting is because of the 
dialogue between you and I. Absolutely. And al- a monologue. And also maybe it's a good time to say it's not unique to you and I, this dialogue and this depth. You know, the depth is in the text. Yeah. And it's accessible to all of us. Absolutely. And and so if if we would ask questions and that's that's really one of the joys of being in ministry and being being able to do this is it it gives me some free time to be able to ask deep questions of the text and to let the text provide the depth. Mm-hmm. And so um, that that's one of the things that I noticed in your sermon this past Sunday is uh, in particular, the way that you set up the sermon, uh, which was out of Luke chapter six, because we're continuing in our study of Luke. It's the last sermon in the series on soundtracks. And so we were thinking about what we think about <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <right>. subtitle <Yep. laughs> and um, looking at, what's going on in the heart of people in the passage. But in particular, uh, it's this encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees and a man with a shriveled hand yeah. on the Sabbath. So continuing some themes from the week previous, um, but uh, you you brought up a point where you saw this, really, this, this contrast between uh, some of the characters. And I just wanted, wondered if you could bring us into, man, how, when you were first starting to see that, or what were some of the questions you were asking hmm. as you were first getting into the text that helped you set up the, the yeah. tone and the direction of the sermon? Well, it's a, and, and, and one sense, that's a hard question to, to answer because, um, you know, I, I can't reproduce that. I can't tell you why. It's, it's because I asked this question. Mm-hmm. Of course, what I'm about to say is one of the reasons I absolutely love what I do in, in this part of my job. I love the conversation with the Holy Spirit mm. of, around the, the written word, you know. Um, and for me, it is a conversation. I I believe that the word is alive. And so I because of what I believe about Scripture— um, I wrote my whole doctoral dissertation about this very thing that, mm-hmm. that, uh, as an interpreter, I want to be in dialogue with the in- inspirer of the scripture, the author of the scripture. And so I'm talking to the Holy spirit and asking him questions about, you know, well, you know, why this, why that? And so as I, as I started looking at this passage and, um, asking questions about, you know, I wonder why Luke, uh, talked about these Pharisees and teachers of the law, right slammed up against the description of this man with a shriveled hand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and in one sense, that's, that's, that's really not an academic question at all. It's not a question that you need to have a lot of years of study. You don't need to know Greek to answer that ask that question. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a curiosity question. And when I teach how to study the Bible, I invite people, bring an inquisitive spirit. That's the best thing you can bring to interpreting the scripture is an inquisitive spirit. And if you'll just ask questions, and again, sometimes they can be Greek grammar questions. Sometimes they can be you know, literary rhetorical questions, but sometimes, and a lot of times there's just simple um, uh, English observations mm-hmm. and a curious mind that you ask, maybe it's even a simple question that the, the answer to that simple question opens up a more, a more, a more deep question, a more difficult question. Mm-hmm. So I can't reproduce exactly how it happened, but um, as I thought about these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who I think I said in one of the sermons, you know, these are people like me. They're they're the Bible teachers. Yeah, and you know, these are men and 
who love the Word of God and love God and are really taking very, very seriously their study of the Word of God and you know they're paying attention to Jesus because he is, is a growingly popular interpreter and teacher of the Word of God and they're concerned about, is he interpreting it correctly? Is he representing God correctly? Is he representing the Word of God correctly? And so, you know, these these men who have all this knowledge and all this love and all this um, uh, care for the, the 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 sacred word, they're being pictured as nitpicky, mm-hmm. um, uh, highly negative people, and it's really easy to caricature them as just negative-minded, stingy people. But when you know what they actually were like, that they loved the word, they, you know, uh, Simchat Torah is a festival that happens every year in, in October, and it's they, they dance with the Torah, they dance with Torah scrolls, mm-hmm. they they weep over scripture. You know, <laughs> come on, how many of you who are listening weep over the gift of scripture mm-hmm. and the the ability that we have to read it and interpret it? And that's what these men feel about the word. And so how could these men be so accusative of Jesus and and be watching him as if they could try to trap him? And it just struck me because I just read the word shriveled. Mm-hmm. These guys have got shriveled hearts. And as soon as that thought hit me, I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. Write you know, that down, write that down. As, yes. as a <laughs> plot, you know, that's just like, that, that'll, that's something there, you know? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, ooh, shriveled hand, shriveled head, shriveled hand versus shriveled hearts. Yes. It's, it's, uh, and even I was sitting in both services when you, when you made that turn yeah. in the sermon. In both services, you could hear everybody go, oh. <laughs> yeah. just, just like it happens like, for me. Yeah. This like, because it's... Uh, it is it's profound, and it sometimes you know even even with that um, is almost it feels like a teachable moment that you can have these moments where you see something that you didn't see before, or God shows you something a new way to look at a passage or a life situation mm-hmm. that totally changes the soundtrack, that changes your paradigm, yeah. and uh, it, it changes how you approach the situation. I I, I just started reading. Seven habits of highly effective people for oh, the you first are. time. Good I, for yeah. you. And I'm I'm loving it. I'm not very yes. deep in, but early on in the book, he talks about this man who was on a train with him and who was letting his kids just run mm-hmm. amok. Mm-hmm. And eventually he's like, you know, I, I held out as long as I could, but eventually I turned to the man and I and I said, you know, hey, your children are really out of control. Do you think you might do something about it? And the man leans, you know, turns back and says, "Oh, you know, you're you're right. I'm so sorry. Their mother just died in the right. hospital, and I just, you know, they just don't know how to respond to it." And the <laughs> author goes immediately. Right, right, right. My whole understanding changed. Yeah. My whole you know, paradigm yep. shift. You yep. know, so uh, I love when that happens yeah. in Bible study, but also in in life. You're, you're going to love that book. There's gem after gem after gem. Uh, yeah. And if some people want to point out, well, he's a Mormon, you shouldn't be reading that book. I mean, please, uh, it's it's not a book about Mormonism. It's, mm-hmm. it's a book about productivity and about you know thinking about how you think and and just looking at your own life and what are the habits in your life that that can be good or that can be bad. I read that book 
30 years ago, mm-hmm. and it, it repays reading again. I know a guy who reads that book every year. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, that's that good. And you'll yes. recognize a bunch of phrases. Like, like I use the phrase sharpen the saw. That's mm-hmm. from Stephen Covey's. That's from that Interesting. book. Interesting. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, sometimes these moments happen, you know, serendipitously, mm-hmm. which we know that means just a surprising discovery. You, you didn't plan it. Uh, and sometimes they happen because I've I've read and I've exegeted and I've studied and I've written and I've still feel had this nagging feeling I'm just missing something. It's hard to describe, but I, I, I've I, I know the text inside out. I basically know what I want to do, but I feel like I still am not cracked the the shell of the text. I'm, I'm yeah. just I'm just approaching it from a shallow or from a cursory viewpoint. And I, I just, I, I also I'll say to God, you know, just help me to bring me into the text. You know, I, I feel like I'm missing something. It's, it's hard to put my finger on exactly what that is, but it's just a feeling. Mm-hmm. It's a nagging feeling. I haven't penetrated the heart of this text yet. And so I'll be laboring. I'll be on my face or I'll be on my knees or, um, um, just, you know, saying, what is it? What, what am I missing? Why, why do I have this nagging feeling that I'm not, I haven't penetrated that. And, um, I hate those moments. They're just, they, cause I, they're <laughs> just like, how long is this going to last? When is it going to, but when that moment of light happens, and again, this time it happened very early. I didn't have any laboring. Yeah. You know, what, 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 what's, what, what am I missing? Um, this particular time with this text, it happened very quickly and, as soon as it happened, I was like, that's, that's, that's a big deal. Oh yeah. But I hate those moments. Those not moments. I hate those minutes and hours where I, I just, come on, God, open this up for me. You know, it's just, <laughs> I have a sermon outline, you know, I can mm-hmm. preach this sermon, but it's just doesn't feel like it's got your anointing on it. I don't feel like we're, we're there yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know if that makes any sense to people. Oh, I will. Yeah, having dabbled in preaching, I know exactly what you're talking Good. about. Yeah. Uh, so, so as we're as we're thinking about the text, you know, in, in light of that mm-hmm. insight, mm-hmm. you know, in, in light of the fact that hey, these characters can become, in a sense, character studies for us. Absolutely. You know, that, that's a, that's an element of narrative that, mm-hmm. on the one hand, Luke is reporting something that happened. But on the other hand, the, the Spirit is inspiring this story to help us learn things about who Jesus is, how we can respond to him. Mm-hmm. And so looking at mm-hmm. you know, that question that is the title of the sermon, how's your heart? Um, and you, you said something early on in the, in the sermon, and then you circled back around to it, which is that we're all candidates for a shriveled heart. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah. That, that's a question I wanted to dig into a little bit more because... I wonder if everyone recognizes that hmm. at first blush, or if there are some people who say, really? I mean, can I, you know, well, obviously the Pharisees, and maybe part of the reason I, I asked the question is because I find it so easy for us to, you know, villainize the Pharisees. Right, right, right. And that, that in some ways is us demonstrating, we think, oh, well, that's, that's, I'm different than that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be that kind of person. They were, but I won't. Uh, so you know, is it really true? What, are we all um, candidates for a shriveled heart? And uh, why is that, if it, if it is true? Well, obviously, I believe it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you didn't, I know you do believe it, but if you didn't, it'd be, I'd be interesting to argue about that sure. and, and talk about it. But, and uh, probably the biggest reason is, I think it's Jeremiah seventeen nine that says yep. the heart is deceitfully wicked. You know, who can know it? Um, that's a very profound, if, if I've got the address right, that's a very profound verse and a profound insight. And it, it is one of those constitutive scriptures for me um, because I believe that verse, because I believe the heart is deceitfully wicked, I need to be on my guard. And that fits with Proverbs 4.23, doesn't it, as well? Guard yep. your heart. Absolutely. Um, and so since the not only that scripture is you know there and it's stating a profound truth that really should repay study we should we should ask why is the heart wicked why why would jeremiah write this and you know is that true about me and that leads us into a theological study about the nature of sin and mm-hmm. and depravity and you know, the human heart and i think it's good even though some people might think it's morose i think it's good for us to dwell on the, the that truth that I am capable of uh, of being deceived by my own heart and my own mind, and I, I actually think you're a fool if you don't recognize that you can be deceived. Another way of saying it might be, you can have blind spots mm-hmm. and. Um, if you don't feel or think that you have blind spots, then you have one, you know? <laughs> so, so these are kind of these, again, constitutive truths about who we are as people that, that for me, define the way I think about myself and other people. These are worldview. These are belief system, <laughs> to use that language, yeah, yeah. Uh, thought, uh, beliefs um, that then I see over and over again uh, represented in other people throughout history and in my own life mm-hmm. um, where I've been, you know, I believe one thing and realized, you know what? I was wrong about that. I really was sincere. I really thought I was right. Um, and because I've seen that in other people's lives, I see it in, in, in characters in the scripture. Mm-hmm. And because I've seen it in my own lives, it, it just backs up what I, you know, see in scripture. So, um, you know, as, as a pastor for, you know, a long time, over 30, I guess I lost count. Um, I've been in ministry 40 years, but I've been a pastor, you know, 30 something, 35, 38. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> there over the, over the years, I have met people who, if you ask me on the spot, um, you know, if, if there's 10 people in your church or in your group that I'm going to tell you right now, three of those in 10 years, are going to fall away. They're not going to walk with God. N- you know, name those three people. Uh, this is this uh, this has happened to me over and over again. Uh, or name you know, th- there's ten couples. Three of them are going to get divorced in the next ten years. Name them. I, I, the, the people that I would name. Oh, definitely, it's couple number seven. Ten years later, <laughs> they're married. And couple number two, absolutely not. They would never get divorced. They're divorced today. So back to my original story. You know, name 10 people. Oh, yeah, num- number two, definitely that person, you know, is walking with God 10 years from now. I'd be willing to bet on it. Number seven, uh, you know, I'm already kind of worried about them. They yeah. probably they may fall away. I'm not even sure they're Christians. You know, 10 years later, I, I, I was wrong. The number two, he's like left the faith. 
what, what, what happened? I mean, I, I prayed with you. I walked with you. Mm-hmm. And you've bailed on God, the church, and the Bible? What in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, so either I'm completely an idiot, you know, or th- that person, and I have no discernment, you know, or that person did not guard their heart. That person, uh, like I said in the sermon, with comparing it to the physical heart, the d- most dangerous place to be is a person who has a heart condition and doesn't know it. Mm. And then there's the group of people who they've been told, you know, you've got some symptoms. Ah, that's no big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they're showing symptoms, but they're not paying attention. And one day they have a heart attack and they're dead. Yeah. And so this is the exact same things that can happen in the Christian life. You know, a person hears a sermon about a shriveled heart. Ah, that's not me. You know, they come across the verse, guard your heart. Ah, I don't need to. They have a conversation with their spouse. You know, you seem to be kind of harsh and cynical. You know, you don't seem to be as compassionate as you used to be. Ah, that's because that person's an idiot. Or we know, we just, we just blow off all these you know, sermons, comments, conversations, feelings, you know, and we just keep blowing them away. We're, 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 we're setting ourselves up because shriveling is already happening, mm-hmm. but we don't see it. Yeah. And then suddenly we realize it. But I think I said in the sermon, nobody suddenly gets a shriveled heart. It's a process. So Personally, I believe being aware that that process can happen is the best guard against it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's that's the, that's the best chance of making sure you're one of those people that does not get that shriveled heart. Yes. And, and I think for me, as I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking to myself, this is such a good argument or, you know, this or this is one of the reasons why walking the adventure with others oh, is man. so important Absolutely. is because we do have blind oh. spots oh. and that's not to excuse blind spots mm. or weaknesses or the dark side of our gifting and personality but that's mm. just to to say that we we need people who um are able to look into our lives and to help us to see yeah. areas of growth yeah. <laughs> you know and we're as we're taking the next step survey this is one of the beautiful things about the next step survey is it simulates, in a sense, someone looking at your life, asking some questions and saying, oh, you know, um, I, I sense that there's a, there's maybe not as much development here as in other areas. Yeah. That could be a blind spot for yeah. you. I, when I first wrote the Next Step survey year, years ago, uh, this is exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking, what kind of questions could we r- ask and write that could become mirrors mm-hmm. for the person who doesn't have that kind of person in their life. And what kind of penetrating questions that are not, you know, overly invasive that would make me kind of back off and go, I'm not taking this thing. It's too invasive, <laughs> but at the same time are penetrating yeah. and, and get at the truth. Like there, there's questions in there about practices, not, you know, well, how do you feel about this? But you know, when's the last time you actually led someone to Christ? You know, uh, a question about, you know, uh, how often do you read the scripture? It's a, it's a factual question, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you look at that and goes, oh, wow, I haven't read the scriptures in two weeks. Well, that's a, that's a simple fact, but it reveals something about, you know, your level of maturity and your walk with Christ. And, right. and I remember praying through those questions. And then when I revised it um, a couple of years ago, I was, I'm like, oh, I can't, you, I can't throw that question out. That's the, <laughs> that's a great question. And, and, but we need it cause it was too long. Yeah. And, but it's funny you said, because that's exactly what I was, that's the, that's what I was thinking in my brain. How can we, 
you know, pose this question so that it gets to the heart of what's really true about a person versus, well, how do you feel? How do you feel about how mature you are? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I well, feel real mature. <laughs> right. Well, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I love the survey as a tool, um, because I think it's, it's effective along those lines to help you get a sense, you know, and even if it's not, you know, I think we can ask questions in any self-reported survey, mm. you know, I, it's not good necessarily to compare my results with someone else's and right. say, Oh no, yeah, I'm, I'm more mature in this area or that area, but for our own introspection and, and to, to help us discern, you know, where, where am I at in this? Uh, and, and, and how can I grow? And are there areas that I need to go and address? Mm-hmm. I think it's very helpful. Yeah. And yet, um, and I think you would agree with this, that it's no replacement for having someone in your life uh, that that can um, – it just doesn't quite compare with having a mentor or having a, a spouse who can speak into your life or who can someone who can unpack it with you. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why we've trained coaches. Absolutely. <laughs> and so yeah. – Especially the closer that person is to you, the, mm-hmm. the better. Absolutely. Um, you know, my wife, Andrea, in many respects, she's a student – of me. She studies me. She knows me. Yep. And I could say something to you about what I do. And, and you'd be like, wow, Jim, I said it to my wife. She's like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the opposite. She may go, you know, you do that better than you say, you know, cause, cause she yep. knows me and you know, you know me, but not like my wife does. So the, the closer this person is to you, you know, the, the better they are to help you, you know, get, get, sober, get mm-hmm. truth yep. about where you really stand. Yeah. And, and that's a great um, encouragement for us to be in in groups, whether that's a men's or women's group or a life group. Mm-hmm. Uh, digs are a great place to develop that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Marriages and, and relationships. You know, sometimes when I, when I do premarital counseling, I talk about how marriages, for, for those of us who are called into <clears throat> marriage, marriage is one of the greatest discipleship opportunities oh, because of the intimacy that that's attained there because the way that my blind spots affect my spouse. Yeah. Gary Thomas is the one who taught yep. me that. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I went years not realizing that. And, and he was the first one that opened my eyes to, mm-hmm. to that God. Actually, God has given me my spouse as maybe one of the greatest discipleship tools in my toolbox. Yes. And no, wow, that's the mind blowing. <laughs> he has this line in the book: "What if God did did not create marriage to make you happy, but to make you holy?" Mm-hmm. It's great. I remember I asked a question that that question one time of a very godly woman, and she and she scrunched up her face and she was like, mm, "I don't like that. I don't agree with that." But then I watched her. She sat there and she's processed. She's like, "Huh, that's really good." I watched her just turn yeah. from the initial response to. Uh, wow, that's a very provocative and insightful question. Mm-hmm. This was a very mature, godly woman. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, and so, and so th- this is we're kind of getting into getting into another question I wanted to pose, okay. which is along the lines of um, something that Jesus, who has a compassionate heart, a heart of love, mm-hmm. was able to do, which is that Jesus was willing to provoke. Mm. It's one of these ideas that. You know, Jesus is acting in ways that are provocative to the Pharisees, knowing how they'll respond and yeah. knowing that it's not going to go well. And, uh, man, that I, that I think should hit us between the eyes in so many ways in our culture. <clears throat> and especially for those of us who have been isolated by social media and, and COVID and other elements and factors, mm. you know, that you posed a question, do you have someone in your life 
who is able to uh, provoke you mm-hmm. to love and good deeds mm-hmm. to, to, you know, par- or to use the, from Hebrews, Hebrews I think 10, that, 24. Yeah. Yeah. And so my question is how do we develop those kinds of relationships? And, and, and part of the reason I ask it is because I see two sides of a, of an extreme spectrum where on the one side you have people who are too afraid to say anything that might be provocative and who aren't courageous like Jesus is, mm-hmm. I probably fall more on that side of the spectrum in my relationships. Mm-hmm. And then on the far end, you have people who are all too willing to provoke mm-hmm. and all too willing to say things it, that, that you're starting to question, man, is this coming out of a heart of compassion mm-hmm. or is this coming from some other place? And so yeah. h- how can you carefully develop a relationship, or, or maybe we can ask what ingredients are necessary mm. to f- to foster a relationship where there can be healthy provocation or healthy correction. That's a great question, Clay. Um, in one respect, um, you can't because um, it's 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 more like who can you recognize the kind of person that's like that, mm. and would you are you willing to open yourself up to them? See, most of us, when we get around a person who's like that, we put up walls and we like keep ourselves safe because I can tell what kind of person you are. You poke, you provoke, and I don't want to be poked or provoked, so I'm just going to keep you at a distance. So, so not everybody is going to be a person that provokes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 I realize that, that the writer of the Hebrews addresses that to the community. Let us consider how we might provoke one another um, but he has to give the admonition because that's not the way people normally are. Yeah, and so, um, uh, so you know, for sure, there are some people that are just not wired to be provokers. Um, then, uh, secondly, I would say, um, when when you do have somebody that asks you a question that's a little pointed or a little provocative monitor your own defense system mm-hmm. because if you continually shut them down or turn on them, well, what about you, you know, and, and get that one of those <laughs> defensive tactics, the person may tire of their trying to love you by provoking. And so monitor your own defense systems. Am I a person who's teachable? Am I a person who's humble? Uh, you know, God's, the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. Well, one of the ways that he gives grace to the humble is by giving them people who will help them keep humble. You know, God has right, given me right. people that, that keep me humble. Um, it's, you know, I, I'm in a position where I stand in front. I mean, just think about this. I stand on a raised platform um, that's a good two or three, four feet above everybody else. They're all sitting I'm standing. Um, they're all mostly attentive. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's a setting that, and this happens week after week after week. It's a setting that's ripe for pride. You know, uh, I'm the only one standing, you know, they're all listening. They're all sitting, you know? And so you know, the, the, I, I have come to thank God for the things that people have said to me that hurt a little bit the things that weren't said that I wish were said that I was, you know, disappointed um, because it keeps me humble mm-hmm. um, because I'm, I'm in a position where it would be so easy for me to be full of pride. Mm. Um, and then you start thinking about, 
you know, this is a daunting thought, but you know, my, my image is being projected to other campuses. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a ripe recipe for, for pride. And so, um, the Lord has taught me, you know, Jim, I've allowed this to happen to you to keep you humble. Mm. And Jim, be open to this caustic remark that you would typically be, just be willing to go out. That person is, you know, doesn't really care. They don't really love, they're just mean. And I write them off. Look for the truth in everything. Um, And so when someone says something that's mean or hurtful, I ask God, you know, is what's the truth you want me to hear there? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. there's other ways that God keeps me me humble. And so I would say to people, if you're always pushing people away and they won't let anybody ever say something difficult to you, then you're training them to not be the kind of friend who can provoke. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, then there's also people that are not trying to provoke you. Uh, they're they're just making no they're just noticing things and and again if you constantly get defensive every time somebody points something out you're basically sending a message don't love me like that you know, right. I don't want that so just so be open to that mm-hmm. and doing that I think you're cultivating the kind of friendship uh, back now to your original question I think those are ways you can cultivate the kind of friendship that that where somebody's willing to say. Hey Clay, can let's go for a walk. I just mm-hmm. want to some things I've noticed. No, and by the way, when when I do things like this, when I take people for a walk or when I sit down, I, I don't come out with guns blazing. You know, there's a way to provoke. Yeah, and there's you know, I, I'm not a prophet sent by God mm-hmm. to correct you. That's not the way I see myself, and I don't think that's how God's wired me. Um, uh, sometimes in my preaching, God uses my preaching in a very prophetic way like that. But personally, um, I don't feel some kind of prophetic mantle on me that I'm going to go up and tell you what to do. Or God, thus says the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do say things that are hard to people. And so the way I do it is to say, hey, I noticed this. And I, now maybe you, I, I misunderstood or maybe... Um, you know, there's a good reason for that. Back to your Stephen Covey story. Maybe you're, you know, you're going through a real hard time. Yeah. I'll say stuff like that. But I noticed this, you, you really snipped at that person or you were really, you know, caustic there or, um, you know, you seem to be more tired or whatever it is I'm pointing out. I I try to come gentle. You know, Jesus was gentle. Um, the only two things Jesus says about himself in the whole New Testament is I'm gentle and humble of heart. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yes. So it's amazing. And, and what I love about that is, to me, those are two of the key ingredients, mm-hmm. is being humble at heart to receive, mm-hmm. even if it's of the 100% that they said, 10% of truth. Yeah. Being humble to receive that, but yep. then on the other end, being gentle in, in providing it. Exactly. Um, and, and then in the if, for for me, what I've what I've found helpful is just affirming your commitment to the person. If you're the one provoking, mm-hmm. just to say, Hey, yes, yes, I, this it's because I love you and it's say out of my love words. for you. Say those words. Absolutely. It's because of my, I'm, I'm, you know, that I love you you know, I'm committed mm-hmm. to this friendship mm-hmm. or to this relationship. Um, especially in marriage, <laughs> um, just saying, Hey, is this, are, this is not threat, a threat to our relationship. Yeah. Uh, this is because of our relationship yeah. that we're having this conversation. I said those very words maybe five or four or five days ago to a person, you know, 
I, the, what I'm saying, I know stings a little bit, but please, every time you feel this thing, I, I, my motive is all love and I, I love you so much. And I, I want you to, to hear that as these are words of love. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a difficult conversation for both yeah, of us, yeah. but, um, but that's the kind of thing you're talking about. Right. Um, yeah. And so then in the midst of all that, another question I want to ask on a related note is when we're looking at the Pharisees, we see these people who are, have this judgmental spirit and who are looking to accuse Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we have that contrasted with Jesus who's willing to provoke them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wondered as I listened to that, because sometimes we can think that we're mm-hmm. be, being willing to provoke when we're actually exercising judgmentalism mm-hmm. and we're looking to accuse. So how can I tell in my own heart, what's the difference between a willingness to provoke yeah. and an eagerness to accuse or judge? Yeah, that's another good question. Um, I think we're back to the, the whole, my, one of my favorite scriptures that I use all over and over again, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search my heart, O God, mm-hmm. and see if there's any wicked way or one translation is offensive way, uh, that's an exercise. You might call it a discipline that every, you know, sincere believer needs to do on a regular basis. And when you pray that Psalm, that prayer of David, don't rush past it. (laughs) Wait, you know, search my heart, Oh God. Um, and see if, and so, when I do that, sometimes the Lord will kind of replay back a conversation I had and I'll be able to hear my tone of voice and I'm like, ooh, yikes. Or, or I'll even sometimes the Holy Spirit almost giving like a little video of me, you know, interacting with this person or saying something. And hmm. and I'm like, wow, I, I didn't see, because we're very, by nature, we're not very objective about ourselves. And I, this prayer can help us become more objective to kind of see out to see ourselves from yeah. an objective viewpoint because we're so subjective. Um, or back to you know, healthy relationships and, and being a person who's humble and gentle, uh, humble in this regard, and w- willing to have people speak into your heart to say, "Wow, you might be on trying to provoke there, but that that came off really judgmental." Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, being able, willing to hear those kind of things. And I think if if you if you're even asking the question, you're ninety percent of the way. Mm. The person who is a judgmental person is less likely to ask, "Am I being judgmental?" <laughs> <laughs> They're more likely to argue, "I'm not being judgmental," you know. <laughs> uh, so the very nature, the very um, Exercise of asking the question, search my heart, can prevent that and mm-hmm. uh, and guard against. And let, let the Holy Spirit point those out because he will. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. ask the Holy Spirit to point out something in your life, he will. You're not perfect. You're not Jesus. So, you know, don't be disappointed when he, you prayed it. <laughs> right. <laughs> now receive it, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, also I would say that sometimes it's not easy to tell the difference looking at a conversation, looking at someone, whether they're being judgmental or willing to provoke. Um, so I don't think there's any harm in asking, mm-hmm. you know, wow, that really stung, Clay. Um, what, what was your motive for telling me that? Or do you realize how bad that hurt? Mm-hmm. You know, just dialoguing that way can gives you a chance to say, yeah, I was hesitant to say that, Jim, but I, I love you so much. I was willing to do that. 
Okay. Well, I discovered that because I was willing yeah. to ask you a question. Yeah. And I, I love having these conversations because it's practical ways that we can live like Christ mm-hmm. and live like Jesus mm-hmm. who loved people <laughs> because all yes. over our yes. nation, we see um, people handling conflict and people handling self-righteousness and judgmentalism in ways that are nothing like Jesus, mm-hmm. where it's all, it's this sort of, um, you know, slash and burn mentality of relationships Absolutely. and this cancel culture mentality in relationships mm-hmm. where there's, you're just leaving carnage because you're on this agenda or because you have this certain way of viewing things yeah. that you're so, you're so convinced that you don't really care what happens and, or, or because you're so defensive of yourself and your heart that, you know, the, the pain of a situation is causing you to, um, only care about yourself and not about the other person. And so you're just out of a defense and out of a, you know, protect protective instinct, just throwing grenades at the person verbally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which reminds me, if you feel like you need to address or confront or provoke, uh, always do it in person. Mm. Uh, never text that. Never put that <laughs> in a post. Yeah. Um, there may be, in certain circumstances, a reason for a, a long email, mm-hmm. but you know these pithy, you know, Twitter forty characters, you know, social media responses. Uh, no, that is not the place mm-hmm. for these kinds of conversations. Yeah. But that kind of um, interaction and is actually training our country to. Yeah, to be so judgmental because mm-hmm. I can say something with my thumbs that I would never have the guts to say to your face, and you know I just rip it off and and um, you know then you know I, I don't even think about it. I just go to the next thing mm-hmm. and it just lingers in people. So um, yeah, there there is for a long time people have noticed that we've lost the ability for civil public discourse, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, sad. In the same way we've, I mean, it's. When we, in the, in the day when I had to drive to the store to buy the thing versus when I can pull up my phone mm-hmm. and buy it, you know, buy now, you know, that And option. get it delivered tomorrow. It, yes. <laughs> and this it's, afternoon. It's not that, I, you know, I'm not here to argue whether or not Amazon is evil, but, <laughs> <laughs> but. The evil empire. Just the, the, the impulsiveness and the. You know, for for a while, I don't know if I read this or if, or if this is a th- a thought that I had, but the concept that the internet is giving us a a fast track to our worst impulses mm-hmm. and and our best impulses. Mm-hmm. But you know, imagine if you had no impulse control, like my toddler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're yeah. you're doing things that you're like, why what why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> why don't do that? Well, it's it's an impulse. She has low impulse control. <laughs> Our impulse control is helpful to us because it lets us be circumspect. Right. And in some ways, social media and, the, you know, the information <laughs> age has taken away some of that impulse control. Absolutely. And uh, it, it's the fruit of it is obvious. It's isolation. Mm-hmm. It's hurt. It's, man, I wish I could take that back. But it's like the old toothpaste analogy. Relationships, <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's tribalism, whereas what I love in God's heart and what I see in Jesus is this, 
I don't care what tribe you're from. Mm. Come on, Amen. follow me. I don't yeah. care what, oh, you're a zealot, bring it on. You're a tax collector, get on board. Mm-hmm. And what what God is after is these deep relationships, these this sense of mutuality and love and where we're all able to bring our gifts to the table. And that's not what we see in society. We see defensiveness and uh, people getting into a camp. And I'm, I've become more and more suspicious over the last three or four years of times when it's I'm using us versus them language mm-hmm. because I just yeah good it, for you. It, it, it's I, I'm just not sure that that's God's heart is this us versus them thing. I think God's heart is always in, in, invitational, yeah. and. Uh, because he loves, mm-hmm. and that's what I see in Jesus as well, and that that reminds me of another whole uh, part of your sermon where you were talking about how you come to church. Mm. It was your first uh, first question in the life group questions um, dealt with. You know, when, when you come to church, what kind of expectations do you have, and mm-hmm. how do you generally? Well, what's your mindset? Um, and and I thought that's it's such a good question because sometimes our new wineskins at some of the ways that we do church in the 21st century, um, make it, uh, sometimes it makes it easier to come to church well. And sometimes it makes it a little more difficult or awkward to come to church well. And so you're calling out, um, the Pharisees for coming to a gathering that was there to hear the word of God and their judgmental spirit. And then later on in the sermon, you talked about, casting some vision for how we can come to church. And I wanted to dig into that a little bit more okay. is what, how can we, what does it mean to come to church well? Mm-hmm. And what are some good expectations to have? And then, um, you know, there, there's some other scriptures I, th- I thought would be fun to bring up, but why don't we just start there? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I gave a couple in the sermon. Um, uh, just having the mindset of when I come to church, you know, who, who can I minister to? Who can I mm-hmm. serve? Which is all by itself a massive flip. Yeah. Because most of us, I want to say us, most of us come to church self-oriented, um, self-centered. And uh, I'm experiencing everything through the lens of well, how is this hitting me? And so just absolutely having an intentionality about I'm going to go to church today looking for people that I can minister to. Mm-hmm. That all by itself is a massive flip that will you know, change everything. Um, but uh, secondly, I would say, you know, this, this may sound trite, but it's what I do. Pray. <laughs> say, Lord, open my eyes yeah. to the people around me. Open my eyes to the hurting. Um, you know, when Jesus said in John 4, uh, to the, the disciples, you know, open your eyes. The fields are white into harvest. Mm-hmm. That's a profound statement. So let's, let's, Jesus said that. So let's do what Jesus said <laughs> and let's open our eyes and let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes when we come to church, when we come to a gathering, when we come to a life group. I'm hoping that any, those who are listening to the cutting room float to this episode, I hope that you're in a life group mm-hmm. or that you're going to get in a life group. And when you come, well, Make it a point. I, I'm. Who can I minister to? Who can I help? You know, yeah. not like you're coming in with a messiah complex. I'm here to save everybody. Right. You know, I have the answer. What they need. I have the. You know. I know what to do to pray. You know. No, you're not a. You're not the messiah, but you are a servant. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that is a wonderful 
attitude to bring to a life group, to bring to a worship service, yes. to bring to a gathering. Um, yeah, and you're you're a servant, and you're also a part of the body. Yeah, you know, in, in this, the reason I think this is such a helpful conversation is because the way that oftentimes we do church, it reflects our understanding of what the church is mm-hmm. and the way that I come to church and the expectations that I pack in. And this is, you know, I keep thinking back to um, our study of the book of Ephesians, which we went through as a church. Was that a, was that a year ago or mm-hmm. less than a year? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It, because Ephesians is a book that is one of the, one of the greatest books for for ecclesiology, which is the theological discipline where we study the ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, hence <clears throat> ecclesiology. And so, you know, if, if I'm, uh, you know, if our ecclesiology, if our understanding of the church is that, you know, it's, it's a place where I come and sit and learn, uh, where I'm sort of a passive participant, mm-hmm. um, then, uh, you, you know, then, then there, that limits the kinds of expectations I'm going to have. You know, what, what I'm expecting is, you know, I want it to be good today and I want, you know, I want church to be good today and I want to, I want to hear a good message and I want to like the music. And so, so often, even, even I do this, we'll ask people, oh, you know, what did you think of church today? And that's, that, yeah. even that question that is revealing. the wrong uh, attitude doesn't it? right as opposed to if we view the church as the body of christ where we're we're all you know not not all of us are you know quote unquote a mouth where we're not all going to come to give a sermon per se but we all are a part of the body and we're all have a, have a gift to bring and, and, mm-hmm. and a way to serve and that's a radically different mm-hmm. um approach and it has a radically different set of expectations to bring to the table uh, and, and for sure, we, we've talked on the podcast before and you've talked in sermons before about how yeah. it's so easy to coast into consumerism and to just watch church happen. And that's, it should be an oxymoron <laughs> because we should always Definitely. be, you know, it, <clears throat> wouldn't it be cool if it were we strange? Oh man, I, you know, I didn't pray with anyone today at, at church. That was weird service. Right. It, because church is not. All I did was receive. That was odd. Yeah, and it's because it's not just, you know, we have worship services when we gather, but the church is the gathering of the people. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much ministry that can happen outside of a Sunday service, <laughs> you know, a worship service mm-hmm. when you're milling around, when you're you're still gathered with the body. Like what's happening in the crossroads is just as much, quote unquote, church mm-hmm. as what's happening in the worship service. Well, unfortunately, we've watered down the word fellowship which mm. in the book of Acts. You know, the first description of the early church was that they devoted themselves to the apostles, teachers, teaching, mm. and to the fellowship. Yes. Well, what that meant in those days uh, was this, you know, koinonia, this, this serving one another, this helping one another, this encouraging one another. Mm-hmm. We've turned the word fellowship into we had coffee and snacks. That's fellowship. No, fellowship is doing the one another's of scripture. Yes. And when, you know, again, like imagine a church, if you do all the one another's, serve one another, love one another, forgive one another, and, you know, encourage one another, all these one another's, if we came mm-hmm. practicing. Provoke one another. You know, provoke one another. Yeah. These are all, that's, that's fellowship. Yes. And so when you think about the early church devoting themselves to fellowship, wow, mm-hmm. who wouldn't want to be in an environment where 
people are, are you know outdoing how to one another one another. You know, yes. I, I want to love you. I want to love you better than you love me. I want to mm-hmm. encourage you better than you encourage me. What an environment! Yes, but that's what the early church meant by fellowship, mm-hmm. not that we're saying you know how did the Browns do it? You know, and how did the you know how's the weather? You know, we're hanging out. No, no, fellowship is rich. Yes, it's deep. It's other oriented. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, and it's, a, it's vibrant and alive. Yes, and and that's and nourishing. And that's one of the reasons I love my small group, my life group, is because that's where we have found it a little easier. You know, some of the barriers are removed to have, you know, we're, we're still gathering with a body of believers, even though, you know, there, there's something different happening in a life group than what's happening on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. But the life group is a great setting to practice doing the one another's. Oh, it's a great it, it setting is. to have oh, that man. fellowship, but that doesn't exclude us from having it on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's one of the reasons, you know, we, we lament uh, when we do sort of like a drive through church, you know, and we're, uh, and, and there's, you know, obviously context to all this and you never know what's going on. You know, somebody could be rushing off to the hospital for all we know, but mm-hmm. there's, opportunity to linger and to engage and to and to aim for something more than just to sit and listen um that's why we built crossroads into the architecture of our church buildings where we gather is to try to encourage some of that and so um i i did want to maybe crack open a couple scriptures that talk about this the first is in ephesians um speaking of ephesians and it's in ephesians Really, I mean the whole the whole book of Ephesians, uh, or, or a large part of it. That's that's in the New Testament, right? I think it is, but um, Ephesians is great when when we're thinking about what is the church and how should we how should we live as a part of the church. And in Ephesians five, Paul is getting into his um, more his exhortative angle after he turns a corner in chapter four. But um, in Ephesians five, here, help me find this, Jim. You, you know, you've read Ephesians 4, right? I think or so. Ephesians 5. I think so. There's a section where he talks about coming together. Oh, it's 19. In, yeah, yeah, here it is. Where he says, uh, he says, I'll start back in verse 15 to get some of the phrasing. But he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that phrase, um, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit, a lot of times we tend to focus on the first part of that and not the second part. But the fruit of being filled with the Spirit in verse 19, what does it look like when we're filled with the Spirit and we're gathering together? Well, it looks like we're speaking to one another mm-hmm. with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, so how, how can this, as one data point, as we're kind of opening up the, the text a little bit, how can this help us to see something that Paul's encouraging and that God desires when we're gathered together? Well, the first thing I, I would I notice is almost kind of a grammatical thing is that he's not telling us to speak to one another in in psalms and hymns. He's not telling us to sing. He's not telling us to give thanks. He's saying that when the only command there is 
well, there's two commands. Don't get drunk with wine. But the, the, only, <laughs> the only positive command is be filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And then grammatically, that's the that's the last you know imperative verb. Then it turns into these these participles. So mm-hmm. it's almost as if that you know when you are being filled with the Spirit, then these are the kind of things that that the Spirit produces. Yes, this speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is this is what it looks like singing, always giving thanks. So this this whole idea of being full of the Holy Spirit, then it also, in most translations don't show this, um, comes down to verse twenty one. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's also not a a, a verb. Right. It's it's a participle. So yep. this is what happens when we are keep on being filled with the Spirit is this kind of body life gets produced, which is really exciting mm-hmm. to think about. But so I so you know don't come to church trying to practice these things as much as you come to the church uh, and come to a relationship and come to every opportunity learning to breathe, you mm-hmm. know, being filled with the Spirit. Lord fill me, you know, prepare me. Uh you know, breathe into me. Yeah. That's the first thing that that strikes me when I think about your question. Yeah. Uh, another thing I see that I, I don't know if I've ever verbalized this before, or seen this before, thought this way before, but this idea of what you're being prompted to do, it, all of the three things that all those participles are musical in nature. <laughs> yeah. and And of course we sing worship songs together, but he he's not just talking about singing to the Lord. He's mm-hmm. talking about singing to one another. Isn't that cool? And uh, you know that's the sort of this rejoicing in mm-hmm. in in God, yes, but also singing, um, you know, lovingly to one. You know, mm-hmm. we we talk about serenading is maybe the closest thing because we don't really sing to one another very often in our culture. Right. We need to take a, a cue from the, the the black culture of the South where they would whistle and mm-hmm. sing while they worked. And just a really vibrant way of saying, hey, you know, this is hard work, but we're going to do this together, mm-hmm. sing together. You know, a yes. lot of the, what we call the Negro spirituals, you know, that's one way of talking about those songs. Um, they were they were this. They yes. were, you know, singing together and singing to each other to encourage each other. And you know, you're right. That's a lost uh, art and a lost mm-hmm. um, practice. Because, yeah, and, and poetry and song is heightened language and we we know how powerful it is to speak encouragingly to one another mm-hmm. and then you know in song it just heightens that so i you know i sing to my kids before i put them to bed because i want them to know i love them yeah. and i can just say i love you i i really do i love you mm-hmm. but singing over them is it heightens that <laughs> communication um and god sings over us Zechariah mm-hmm. 317 talking yeah. about how god rejoices over us with singing which is such a <laughs> yeah. beautiful parental picture absolutely and and i you know we everyone wants to be a part of a spirit-filled church um or at least i do i do and i i think i think sometimes we don't think about this as what it means to be part of a spirit-filled church that we're encouraged you know we're we're speaking to one another Mm -hmm. you know we we want to have spirit-filled preachers for sure and and we love the preaching that's anointed um but it's not just saying have a spirit-filled preacher, therefore there's a spirit-filled church. It's right. saying let the spirit move in the body right. to to speak to one another. Yeah. Um, and that also brings me to to a, a second passage, which maybe we can just peek in, into because uh, we we do have a little bit. Oh, maybe yeah, we we probably got like five more minutes. What do you think? <laughs> sure. 
Um, maybe I'll just read it. Uh, it's in First Corinthians, which is another, you know, if, if not Ephesians, First Corinthians might have the most information about orderly worship, oh, it does. That, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so in verse, or sorry, in chapter fourteen, um, let's see if I can find my place. Oh yeah, okay. So starting in verse twenty-six, Paul's coming out of a conversation about um, sign gifts and into orderly work, talking about orderly worship, uh, and he says, um, uh, "Let's see." Yeah, 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 I'll start in verse twenty-six. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. And that's sort of like uh, a summary for, for what follows. And then he goes into more details. But even just from that one verse, which uh, I, I you were saying before we started recording, this is like the only mm -hmm. description of a worship service in, you know, in the whole Bible. Yeah. Um, so what, what is there? New Testament, yeah. Or in the New Testament. But uh, what's there here for us to to receive about the way that we come to church? Well, um, first thing I see is the words "each one." Uh, so it's mm -hmm. it's not everybody get in a in a row and listen to one person lead music, one person preach. Yeah, there, there seems to be more of this. This um, everybody's bringing something to the table, and of course, in in these days. This these are house churches, right? So these are small gatherings of, you know, more like life groups almost. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe fifteen if it's if it's a big house, maybe thirty people. But so you know, there's a house church movement in, in America that's been going on for fifty, sixty years, mm -hmm. and this is one of the places that they draw inspiration. Is you know, let's get back to that intimacy of each person bringing their their, their message or their revelation or their practice of their gifts. And that's a, it's a very cool, um, uh, environment. Uh, yeah. Each one bringing something. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and to me that begets a sense of ownership mm -hmm. and a sense of, um, you know, taking responsibility for, for that sort of thing. And part of the reason I wanted to bring these texts up is because, um, they're they're so foundational, and I'm I'm hoping for me and for others, they can help us to shake free from this, you know, con consumer mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm not when I'm not scheduled to preach or when I'm not you know teaching a Sunday school class, even for me, you know, it can be it can be easy that once I sit down after the worship service, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm here here we are, and the the, the chair's comfortable, and all these sorts of things. But um, there's an invitation to so much more when we come to gather with the body, yeah, yeah. Um, and it involves all of us. And so that's I, it's it's a passion area for me for sure. But uh, I just wanted to bring up some of those things mm -hmm. as a as an application to what we were learning on Sunday. Yeah, that's that's um that's a different way of coming to church. Whoops. <laughs> Jim's Jim's getting a phone call or having some sort of alarm go off, which means that we should probably wrap wrap up. Is there any any uh, parting words, Jim, as we kind of wrap up this conversation? Hmm. Um, well, uh, I think I might go back to the very title of the sermon. Just to ask people, how's your heart? Now that you've heard the message, now that you've interacted with the text, now that you've listened to a podcast. Um, the whole point was 
to to help us do a contrast between different kinds of hearts here. So mm-hmm. maybe just leave this with: Do you have the courage to ask God to examine your heart, and would you would just listen to Him and take some time to to be quiet to hear what He has to say to do an evaluation? Mm-hmm. You know, Paul says, "What is hmm, is it Second Corinthians thirteen or something like that about?" Uh, examine yourselves to see if you really are in the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's, it's it's kind of the, the heart behind the next step survey. Yeah. Um, from time to time, we need to do a heart check. We need to sit with the doctor and let him diagnose us <laughs> mm-hmm. and see how's your heart. Yeah. And so maybe I would leave with that. Yeah. Well, and then until next week, we're, we're going to be... Um... Jumping into that next, what's your next step excursion mm-hmm. over the next seven really weeks, and that. Uh, we'll 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 be back on the podcast with some surprises for you starting next week that we're we're excited about that I will leave cryptic. Uh, but I just want to say thank you to those of you who have been listening and to those of you who have been engaging. And we love to hear that you guys are enjoying these conversations and being encouraged by them uh, because ultimately this is it's fun for us, but we hope it's a ministry to you as well. So thank you for listening. And uh, until then, we will sign off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.